Welcome back to French Fashion. Welcome back, welcome back. Here we are once the more. October episode, Halloween special. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we should have done like something scary for the Halloween special. Like I bet one of the RN, the new RN deputies, like published some like absolutely horrific <laughs> pamphlet that we could have done. Um, but you know, on, on a slightly maybe more upbeat note. Um, we also there's also been a lot of social sort of picking up of social movements recently. Me and Harrison have been on the two big marches uh, yeah. that happened. Well, three actually, I think. Yeah. Um, and you know it was re- really good atmosphere. People are like up for a fight. Um, you know the, the unions are mobilizing a lot of people. Yeah, you guys maybe heard that there was a I guess for a bit over sort of two or three weeks or so it's now fizzling out, but there was a extended uh, strike in French refineries, which yeah. had like a, I mean, extremely um, sort of widespread impact on the yeah. distribution of gasoline, like yeah. something like a third of French gas stations were out of gas yeah. um, for about which, a week at least. Which, which is um, a major impact. And Macron's government, I mean, went to the, went to the extent of actually requisitioning workers and sort of de- delivering with the police officers, uh, sort of back to work orders to striking workers. Otherwise known as forced labor. Last, it was last week on, was it the 18th, I think? I guess you had the Cigite, which is the sort of larger of the left-wing unions, which called sort of for a national strike movement. And in Paris, there was, I mean, I don't know, you and I both went to the protests and it was, it was large. It was uh, huge, it was uh, huge, yeah. it was big. I haven't been to a, a, a march that big in a while, I think, right. actually. Right, so I guess to somewhat respond to the question we asked ourselves in the September episode, unclear yet if, I guess, the COVID thaw is over. But yeah. There was definitely some deja vu. Uh, yeah, but quite a bit of deja vu. We'll, 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 see what, we'll see what comes of it. We'll see yeah. what comes of it. Um, but to sort of sort of come back to the, the subject of the episode, yeah. I guess. Um, and we read, uh, I guess, the latest essay by a really uh, talented... Uh, writer and journalist now sort of for the last five years he's been a deputy in the French parliament named François Ruffin um, who I guess caucuses with uh, Mélenchon's France Insoumise which I guess we've surely talked a lot yeah, about so yeah, far in the yeah, show yeah, yeah. and his new book is called Je vous écris du front de la Somme which in English means I'm writing to you from I guess the, the front the, the, the front of the Somme which of course is a World War One reference a World War One reference but also he is an MP in you know a, a part of France which which was on <clears throat> the World War One front line on the World War One front line. So you know there's various meanings. I think it's quite a good title. Definitely, um, definitely. Uh, and I guess the, I mean the reference now, of course, is he is one of sort of the few remaining left wing MPs. MPs in a region which is now. Which used to used to, in a region which used to be you know a red region, right, which I mean, would constantly the, return communist or socialist MPs, right. and now is just assumed to be an R is just an RN stronghold. Right. A, a, right. A, 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 I mean, these are this is where you have a lot, right of, a lot of the departments where four out of five, four out of six, five out of seven of the of the deputies that were sent to the National Assembly are from the National Rally. So yeah. part of, I guess, the the RN's wave into Parliament, which made it such that now they have 89 seats, yeah. it's really from mm-hmm. some of these regions which were entirely flipped. Mm. Um, and, he, and he sort of, he spends the whole beginning of the book being like, 
let's not let my success and another handful of success stories in these RN dominated regions cloud the fact that we are being absolutely dominated in these parts of the country, which used to be our strongholds, which used to be our bases. Right. And he's he very much sort of it incarnates this kind of, uh, I don't know, resilience, stubbornness, raising the alarm of, you know, this isn't something we can just take to be normal. Right. This, right. Is, this, is, this is maybe the most serious, I guess, the most serious problem the left has, in right. his view. Right. Um, and... And, you know, he makes a really good case for it. And the guy, he's an impressive guy overall. We'll, we'll do a little profile of him. Sure, uh, sure. So I guess um, uh, he's, a, he's a journalist right. uh, initially, right? He, he founded a, a kind of semi-satirical investigative... His first sort of journalistic kind of endeavour or whatnot was he founded this sort of, yeah, monthly satirical newspaper, as you said, called Fakir in 1999. Mm. It was very much based also in... He's from Amiens, Amiens, Amiens yeah. which is a... Not uh, a town in the north. A town in the in, north. In, um, in Picardy. Right. Um, and I think, I mean, this is, I think, something that's interesting is his sort of style as a journalist. Um, actually, you can read some of his, in this essay, you can see some of his early work. Mm. He excerpts, there are large sort of segments of the book which refer back to, I guess, the subject of this, which are excerpts from one of his early books called sort of The Northern Neighborhood, yeah. um, which is sort of a... A kind of boots on the ground study of this yeah. region, which is undergoing rampant industrialization, yeah. and basically where the economic model, which had been at the sort of the foundation of sort of the strength of the sort of yeah. communist party, had yeah. been destroyed. I mean, yeah. people who listened to our episode last October, I think, yeah. there's a lot of overlap between I think what Rufin is saying about the region where he rep- now represents mm. the parliament, in which he has been writing about for sort of much of his adult life mm-hmm. and Didier Eribon who we, we re- reference his book we did an episode on his book Returning to Reims yeah. last well last it's um, well exactly I mean his he, he Ruffin is from Amiens from this yeah. post-industrial town in the north of France and throughout his lifetime he has seen uh, the PCF the French Communist Party and the PS the French Socialist Party be replaced as the dominant electoral force by the far right. Right. And this I, this is just the main animating experience, political experience of his, uh, very clearly. And so anyway, like we say, he, he, he was initially a journalist. He's clearly a very talented kind of like creative guy. And then went on to, to, to make uh, a bunch of documentaries sort of as a journalist. And they are in the vein of his... His journalistic work, they're like satirical, humoristic, investigative. There's one in particular that, you know, if if any listeners can find a a version of it with subtitles or if you speak French, uh, just find a a version of it called Merci Patron, Thank You Boss. And he sort of, I suppose, chronicles the... The, the genuinely quite harrowing sort of suffering of this really working class family, but but while also kind of helping them fuck over this bil- French billionaire that's really well known, right. who has, who is responsible for the deindustrialization of their region and and, and the sort of un- mass unemployment of all Bernard the people. Arnaud. Bernard Arnault right. is uh, the billionaire, right. and so the Merci Patron is about Bernard Arnault, and the whole film is very 
tongue in cheek and they eventually sort of get what they want out of him, but they do it in this quite hilarious way. I mean, it's an incredibly moving film. Right, um, and it definitely it put him on like the national map in yeah. the mid 2000s, 2010s rather, when it came mm. out. And it was one of the films that was sort of one of the kind of rallying cries of mm. Nuit Debout, mm. um, which we've spoken about in several episodes, which mm. was basically one of the sort of mid-2016 protest movements, end of Hollande years, when Macron was actually, had recently been appointed ministers mm. and was against sort of Hollande's reform of the labor code. Mm. And so at that point is sort of when, yeah, Ruffin gained sort of a national stature. Yeah. Mm. And that was sort of a year before he actually won a seat in parliament in 2017 after Mélenchon's second mm. presidential campaign. Yeah. Um, and what if I can just say one thing about kind of Ruffin as a journalist, and this is something I kind of really appreciate about him. They're actually, I feel like he... I find him very recognizable as a style of sort mm. of journalist mm. from the United States. Like, oh, really? he's extremely just sort of, I, I, I don't want to say like vulgar, but mm. he's, he's an autodidact. He's, he's a, a self-taught journalist. He's a salt of the earth kind of guy. Right. Uh, he's, 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 he's very, in, a, in, a, in France where the entire media, media ecosystem is absolutely dominated by Paris, Paris, mm-hmm. and sort of the pipeline of the Parisian journalism schools. Yeah. Um, he's someone who runs sort of what seems like a sort of shoestring mm-hmm. monthly newspaper operation mm-hmm. out of out of his office. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. In Amiens, and has sort of made a journalism career by covering things that are entirely that no in one the, else covers in the shadow yeah. of sort of the Parisian. Uh, yeah. Media cycle. Yeah, I mean, um, he he would. He's an impressive guy, just as a journalist. Before we even get into his, his sort politics of his, or, his politics, right. and so uh, he became a uh, an MP in two thousand and seventeen, I believe, and not uh, uh, through the organization of La France Insoumise, but through a sort of local platform called Picardie Debout, right. which means uh, standing up for Picardie, uh, sure. I guess. Yeah. And well, Picardie rise, rise up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, and so, you know, he's a very kind of locally anchored guy. He knows his, his, his terrain, as they say in French. You know, yeah. He's very close to the people that he seeks to represent. And, and you know, that's reflected <coughs> in the kind of majorities he has. He gets, you know, in the 60% yeah. in his... Uh, in his constituency, you know, so I think that's well reflected. And nowadays he he is a kind of singular figure, I guess, in La France Insoumise, right. insofar as he kind of, he's carved out, his, his sort of political clout yeah. is very much his own it's, and yeah. is very much carved out separately from La France Insoumise. And he yeah. only joined La France Insoumise sort of after being elected on, yeah. on his own terms, yeah you know, with his own sort of mini party. And, you know, so he's a, you know, a, even even before we get to the subject of the book, yeah. I think, you know, it should be clear to listeners that this is a really kind, this is someone to look out for. Yeah. He's a, you know, people, people talk about him being a potential presidential candidate, but we might get onto that later. Uh, I think it's certainly far too soon yeah. to be discussing yeah. that. Um, but, he you is, know, I guess, just uh, if I can apply an American sort of political term, a maverick. Yeah. He is a bit of a maverick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is a bit of a maverick. Roll over John McCain. There's now François Ruffin. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess another thing that, you know, just to just kind of understand his profile a bit more, um, he was one of the first people to 
take very seriously and be very positively invested in the Gilets Jaunes movement. You know, the Gilets Jaunes are really his kind of people, you know, the sort of forgotten people of the kind of peripheral parts of France, rural parts of France, deindustrialized parts of France, people who have been, whose lives have been kind of like destroyed by all these enormous macroeconomic changes yeah. and are completely powerless and are also often relatively depoliticized. And, you know, that the, he, he actually even made a documentary, was made one of the first documentaries about the Gilets Jaunes called Je veux du soleil, yeah. I, I want, I'd, I'd like sunshine, I want right. sunshine, where he sort of follows the Gilets Jaunes group really right at the beginning of the movement. And it's quite, it's quite a sweet documentary, mm. you know, it's quite kind of moving you can mm. see the affection and the closeness he has for these people and like how much he kind of admires them as well mm, mm, mm. and um and so and you in know the, in the book is to sort of get a bit into the book the book is riddled with his conversations with his constituents i guess yeah. to maybe switch to what is the i guess the central tenor of the arguments of significance the of the book itself which is sort of a critique of 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 maybe the left or of the limits of maybe what has been sort of the what? left strategy of the left strategy, or it's maybe to rephrase that, it's he's reporting on what his constituents say is the problem with the left, yeah. basically, and he's saying we need to think about this. We need and, we need a strategy for right. it. Yeah. Um, I guess the the letter is sort of kicked off. I mean, it, it's as I said, yeah, you have all these conversations or exchanges with his constituents, and it begins with this this letter from sort of a Protestant. Priest that her, a text message she got from some sort of French Protestant some priest, lay saying, priest yeah, yeah saying like François like you're great like I really love what you stand for if I if I if I lived in your uh, constituency I would vote for I would consider voting for you mm. um, but I have sort of a, of a conservative temperament and for me uh, I guess so Rufin is like I wish you were here why why is someone who's sort of a man of God or whatever why can they not vote for sort of Someone who wants equality, equality and, and sort of sharing of wealth and resources, and, and the the fellow responds to him saying, because for me, so the left is not about sort of the value of labor and of work, and work of work yeah. of dignity and work and right. so on and so on. And Ruffin is sort of less left speechless, right. you know, because right. the way he sees it is, well, no, we're the party of work. The left are right. the party of work. You know, I right. mean of labor of, well, of the workers yeah, yeah. and um and so he's sort of left a bit dumbfounded and and then in the book he sort of relays all these all these other experiences especially on the campaign trail that he had of people making similar arguments basically right. and people being like oh uh, the left just want to sort of give handouts and just give money out to people who are lazy and, and don't want to contribute to society and don't want to work and all this that and the oh. other and Ruffin, you know, being a sort of, in, in his own sense, a good empiricist, you know, he takes that seriously. You know, he doesn't dismiss it as inherently reactionary, as just the fact that they're right wing means that they're going to say that and, oh, it's the media and this, that and the other. Although he admits that, you know, there's lots of distortion in the media, mm. but he tries to sort of get at the root of or rather develop a left-wing strategic outlook for how to bring people who, who think this about the left back over to the left. Because, you know, a lot of these people are the children or grandchildren of PCF voters, of Communist mm -hmm. Party voters. Mm -hmm. And so for him, it, it's obvious that they can be won over. We just need to find a way to, to, to win, them, win them back over. Mm -hmm. 
one thing I think that maybe should be said is that the book was like particularly sort of, I would say timely is not the right word, but I mean, it was a coincidence that the book came out really right at the exact time when another sort of figure in the sort of Noops Alliance, mm. um, Francois... Roussel. No, uh, sorry, Fabien, Fabien. Fabien Roussel, who is, I guess, the lead, one of the leading figures of the Communist Party, mm-hmm. and who's the PCF's candidate this past uh, presidential elections, who, I guess, at the Fête du Mar, which is the Communist Party's annual sort of festival, festival. Um, sort of, I don't know, kicked off like a, a massive debate by... Sort of polemic. Basically yeah. saying, yeah, there is, there is truth to the fact that... Uh, yeah the left has become the party of sort of the welfare state and sort of the yeah. nanny state. And, and, of, of and the, people uh, want sort of the defense of a hard day's of, of the scroungers. And, yeah. Yeah, so um, th- this, it, like you say, it was, you know, very, uh, I should say, a propitious book. It was published at a very propitious time because yeah. Roussel, who has always been the probably the most problematic leader in the Noops Alliance, which contains the Communist Party, the Greens, the Socialist Party, and the France Insoumise. And he's been a bit of a naysayer since the beginning, right. and a bit of a causing problems and shitting on the other parties and saying things that are not coherent with the Noop general position. Right. And, you know, this thing that he said is that, you know, he is for the France of work, not the France of social security, or not, not social security, the France of... I suppose, what would be the equivalent of assistana? I would say, I mean... Of the assisted, of the, the people who get benefit, well, yeah. benefits. Well, benefits. He is the France of workers, not the France of benefits. Right, right. And, you know, he caused all this polemic. And as it happened, Ruffin say, is saying something similar. Mm. But I suppose the difference is that, from my perspective at least, is that Roussel seems to be trying to carve out an electorate for himself. And is seeming to trying to kind of separate electorally and kind of uh, symbolically the working class that is you know seen to live off benefits mm. and the working class that is seen to live off work mm-hmm. for his own benefit, electoral benefit. Right, he's trying to attach himself to that part of the electorate, mm-hmm. whereas Ruffin. Ruffin clearly is trying to bring those people into the camp together with uh, the working class people that run benefits, as well as the working class people that, inverted commas, you know, work for a living. Mm-hmm. You know, often the line in between living off benefits and working for a living is it's very obscure. Very... Lots of people who do work, you know, various jobs also get benefits because they're paid, they're paid so badly yeah. um, and so I suppose the fundamental difference in between Ruffin the way, and, and Roussel and the way that Ruffin was able to kind of how should you say um, bat away Roussel's kind of attempt at a, a, a kind of cordoning off an electorate for himself or offer a more nuanced I mean a nuanced discussion over this is by exactly introducing a much more nuanced outlook on this situation but there's also equally as honest Mm. you know because it's hard for the for the left to admit that Roussel might be tapping into something that people actually do think in French society Mm. would have been hard Mm. because um, it would have been seen as seeding ground to right-wing 
talking points. Sure. Yeah. But what Ruffin allowed was for the left to maybe have a bit more of a healthy discussion about it, to be able right. to admit that there are certain points on which um, this cannot just be avoided, just can't be dismissed as a right-wing talking point. Right. That these are real people that do think this, and maybe the reasons they think this are because of distortion or whatever, but nonetheless, you still need to be able to talk to them on their own terms and bring them over into your camp on their own terms. Mm. And I think that's what Ruffin has you know, very thankfully been able to do for the left with this book and with his own interventions and politics in general. And now that we have sort of, we're amid sort of a strike sort of movement mm-hmm, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many different ways of thinking of sort of the redistribution of I don't know, wealth or mm-hmm. sort of valeur ajoutée or yeah. sort of, yeah. I don't know, the sort of surplus that is produced by, I don't know, collective labor. Um, yeah. There is, of course, I don't know, I mean, the idea of sort of the state should skim off sort of the profits and redistribute and all of that. Mm -hmm. It just turns out that that is a much, I mean, that is a a, a truncated vision of sort of left-wing politics is Mm -hmm. that, oh, there are super profits. And of course, the state needs to tax super profits profits when it's taken by sort of these extremely sort of strategically dominant sort of corporations but it's still a very limited notion of sort of an emancipatory progressive politics and what has for much of the left's history been at the crux of of democratic socialism or whatever you want to call it is the idea no sort of profits are going to be taken at the source Mm -hmm. i.e by workers Mm -hmm. at the shop and they're going to be taken they're going to be the shares pre, pre-distributed, pre-distributed rather than as sort of decent salaries within yeah. the company. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's sort of the because I think because to a certain I think Ruffin sort of also knows that this debate is sort of absurd because of course the left, like, of course the left has always stood for sort of a a uh, and today stands for sort dignified of dignified working lives. And yeah. I mean, the Mélenchon program is literally sort of a. I mean, it's the French version of the Green New Deal and yeah. would impl- entail sort of the creation of sort of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of jobs in, green to, in sort of green industries and mm-hmm. in sort of the, the green sort of quote-unquote transition. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I think that's maybe the, because, I don't know, there's, it's been so long, and this is something we've, a lot of people have been speaking about, it's been so long that there's been sort of, and this is something that's cause for hope, like offensive sort of strikes, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's at least what the French say. I don't know what maybe the English sort of equivalent of that would be, but sort of aff- sort of strikes aiming actually on the offensive on the offensive for sort of gains, whether it's rather than defending, defending things that are being sort of, taken away. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that's an insulin that can somewhat, hopefully, sort of also provide for the answer yeah. to. Well, I think also, you know, the big the big sort of thing in, in the book is that <clears throat> we need that the, it's it, the left need to reclaim the idea of dignity in work, not that work is the only way to get dignity and that there is an alienation in work and that work under capitalism isn't alienating. But that, you know, in a very concrete way, most people, especially the working class, gain dignity through a, a, a dignified relationship with work through through a, a sort of satisfying relationship with work mm. you know and that was a lot of what 
industrial society, or at least is seen as now in retrospect, even if at the time, you know, it's more complicating work itself was incredibly alienating as well. But the, the kind of nostalgia for a time where what, when one could have dignity in work is an incredibly powerful force in these parts of France that that have been, you know, for want of a less dramatic word, abandoned by the left, mm. or at least have been estranged from the left. And, you know, I think the, the point of this book for Ruffin, you know, he didn't know that Roussel was going to come out and say some shit that he was going to be able to, like, give a nuance to. The point of this book was to, well, a, 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 call, to, a call to alarm for, uh, you know, La France Insoumise and for the left, but also so that his pers- his 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 strategic orientation towards trying to bring these people back into the left camp can gain ascendancy in the left mm. because in this you know um profile that we both read uh, of Ruffin which was rather good i thought in le monde um it, it was explaining that you know he's always been a bit a bit kind of um how do you say, out of the main circle of La France Insoumise, you know, a bit on the margins, mm. you know. He hasn't been particularly interested or involved in the internal politics of La France Insoumise or even La Nupe. It's all because uh, there hasn't been internal politics a lot. Of yeah, it. well... It's been uh, Mélenchon's show and now, I mean, now that Mélenchon is somewhat being pushed to the sidelines or stepping back, like, this is sort of now Ruffin's time. Yeah, to... well, the, it's, it's a time for for the heirs of Mélenchon to step up. And right, Ruffin right. is an important heir of Mélenchon. Right. But he's also not someone who depended on Mélenchon to get his platform. Sure. And he... The, with this book and with his sort of increasing assertion of his own politics within La France Insoumise, he's clearly trying to gain a bit more influence inside the party, inside its internal politics, so that his orientation can be adopted as one of the main strategic sort of outlooks of the organization and i think that's really good i mean you know we talk about you know he talks about in the book that you know he he recognizes and i think everyone on the left really should recognize this whatever you think of Mélenchon personally or or whatever as shortcomings Mélenchon stood strong during a decade when the left could have disappeared. Right, right, right. And he cobbled together a coalition which has now got 150 left MPs into parliament, mm-hmm. uh, which is largely based around the sort of urban working classes, urban educated middle classes, mm-hmm. um, ethnic minorities, sure. um, and young people. Right. And that's good, sure, you know, it's good, you, you need to shore up your bases where they're strong you need to strengthen that but what Ruffin is saying is that now that we have those bases nice and strong we need to go out and do the real work which is gaining back the old bases but not the real work the next well the the, the real work the next phase of the work which is to bring those ex-left-wing voters or or regions that used to vote left-wing back into the fold because right now what's happening is we're losing it to the RN Right. And that, and, and ultimately, that's, you know, the RN are on the cusp of power. Yeah. And if we abandon, continue abandoning these parts of the country to the RN, those parts of the country will put the RN in power. Right. And that will be right. a catastrophe. Like, we can't govern the country with a third of it. Yeah. Um, and it's something you said before when we were just sort of chatting, before recording, which I think really kind of 
sums up, I think, maybe sort of his implicit critique, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, we've mentioned, I guess, the sort of infamous sort of Terra Nova Foundation mm-hmm. report, which is this this French sort of, I don't know, hack. It's like a, se- a centrist foundational ta- text, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, an extremely influential think tank report um, put out, I think, in 2012. Um or in the, it was maybe, I think it was in the lead up to the 2012 election. Um, and basically it was sort of a, trying to lay out sort of the new strategy that the Socialist Party should take up. Um, basically saying, okay, the old working class, Forget veering right there, we don't need to care about them. What, what we need to get are sort of the professionals and the ethnic minorities. The young people and the yeah. ethnic minorities. Right. Um, and I don't think Rufel doesn't put that in this, doesn't put it in these terms in this book. Um, but there is somewhat of an implicit critique as sort of mm-hmm. what Mélenchon has pulled off mm-hmm. is somewhat we, we have not really strayed that far yeah. from the Terra Nova Foundation. Well, report. yeah, the, the point um, he makes is that to the extent that our current voter coalition looks like the Terra Nova recommended one, we are falling into the same trap that the PS was falling into already. Right, right. And therefore, we need to kind of how do you say it? we we need to break out of almost like this terra nova tendency going on you know in the progressive parts of politics you know of thinking that it's simply okay to accept <coughs> that part, massive swathes of the working class have abandoned the left you know that's not an acceptable position to take and if we take that position or if we accept that that's where we are then we're going to lose and we're going to lose in a way that's going to let the RN get into power. And even more so, the coalition we have, although in some aspects it looks a bit like the Terra Nova Foundation coalition, it's not because the Terra Nova coalition also includes, you know, the French elite and the, you know, big, big swathes of French capital, which are obviously never going to be on the side of, of the noop and that right. the noop do not want on their side. Sure, sure, sure. So... And I guess what's we're not just sort of speculating about twenty twenty seven. I mean, because I mean in France today, I mean elections actually sort of national elections could sort of happen in under a year and in, in, in several months. I mean, I guess over the, the to sort of maybe finish on kind of a current events sort of frame. Uh, I guess over the last month you've had sort of the budget negotiations for twenty twenty three, um, and last week um, after sort of four or five days of sort of of parliament going through, uh, I mean, hundreds, I think over a thousand amendments. Um, Macron's government basically pulled the plug on it and decided to use an article of the French Constitution we discussed before, the 49.3, to basically decree the law. Mm -hmm. Um, You had the noops put forward the vote of no confidence. You had the RN put forward their own vote of no confidence. They have both failed and the budget has passed. Mm -hmm. So basically what what has happened... um, in this first sort of major legislative battle, um, there is no dissolution. There was no vote of no count mm-hmm. confidence. Um, Macron passed the budgets mm-hmm. without a majority. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is also sort of going to be the somewhat the norm over the next few months. Um, well, because it's a sort of balancing act whereby <clears throat> the threat of dissolution is there well, Macron uses the threat of dissolution to discipline or to scare the kind of centre-right party into voting with him because, yeah. w- well, I mean, we, do- we don't really know what would happen if there were elections right now, but what we can probably know 
more or less, is that the centre-right party would lose seats to the far-right party, the RN. And so there's this threat looming that Macron can use to discipline the centre-right party into voting with him or risking losing half their seats, basically. And, you know... But the truth is, is that Macron doesn't want a, another round of elections because, I, you know, Macron's party, I doubt, would do particularly better if there were a new round of elections. The Noop don't really want new round of elections because, you know, this is the first time the left has had a decent amount of MPs, you know, since, God, you know, half a decade at the very least. Mm, mm, mm. Um, and so no one really wants new elections um, but the threat is constantly being used to kind of make things happen, and the no confidence if it went through would probably cause a dissolution and new well, elections. Would, I mean, if there were, if the LL did, if the three opposition groups or forces voted no confidence, voted no confidence, there would absolutely be mm-hmm. a dissolution. It's yeah. unclear the point, though, mm-hmm. what would actually bring a those groups to vote on each other's respective votes, vote of no, no votes of no confidence, yeah. and then you also have the question of. Maybe the even more important question is what would actually bring the Republicans to mm. sort of the center right party to, to vote in no confidence in Macron, right? Yeah. Risking potentially either exposing themselves, risking exposing themselves to an election. Yeah, um, electoral oblivion. So basically, this book is I don't know. We're not trying to. Yeah, it's not a oh what how how does the left need to be ready for the, the election in 2027. I mean, no, with not at French all. politics now, there is just it's, the it's, threat of national elections. It's, it's, the book is, I would say, to resume the book, it's now that the left has shored up and strengthened the bases that it had, yeah, yeah. now it needs to use that new strength to do something quite courageous and quite difficult, yeah. which is reach out to people who vote for the RN. And that's a bit of an unsavoury thing to say for certain left-wingers, you know, because for certain left-wingers, you know, the RN electorate, they're just all racists, they're never going to vote left-wing, so let's not try and do it. Now, what Ruffin says, and there's there's a really nice way that he puts it in this book, what he says is, there is obviously absolutely a part of the RN vote that is just racist, and we do not want their vote. But there is another part. And the way that he formulates it is he says there is a anti-egalitarian RN vote, which whose priorities are, um, you know, the their kind of superiority uh, towards ethnic minorities, you know, they're sort of a kind of a kind of uh, I don't know race well racism and therefore inegalitarian because what their political preoccupations are is the kind of inferiority of certain other groups whether it be because of color or gender or whatever and there is also however an egalitarian vote for the RN which votes for the RN because of the inequality that they perceive in between big cities, big metro- like the metropoles and the countryside and the, and the, and the, and the peripheral parts of France. Mm. And that the vote for the RN in those cases is a vote, is an egalitarian vote, misguided, of mm. course, mm. but is nonetheless an egalitarian vote. And it's on the basis of the kind of egalitarian substance of their vote that the left can kind of win them back by shifting mm. their political preoccupations back to things that the left... Mm. are about 
I mean, they're, they're the classic sort of slogan, and, and Ruffin is very much associated with this, uh, is the sort of fâché pas fâché. Yeah. Uh, sort of... Which is hard to... Angry, but not... Fascist. fascist. <laughs> no, I mean, but it, it they, sounds they a bit better in French. They, sort of, the words are... Hung, very similar. Sort of, yeah, sound, sound, sound similar. Yeah. Um, and one of my sort of... One of my favorite sort of bits in the book, and this is, I think, also a good way where he sort of does actually sort of find a way to sort of sidestep or redirects, I guess, his constituents' attention from, I don't know, from sort of usual kind of anxieties. I was saying, oh, the guy I put up above my apartment is just... Doesn't work, he sits in and, his house all day. Um, yeah. I mean, he says that what we, re- to, to speak to these, and what works speaking to these people is mm-hmm. we need to really make clear we are fundamentally at the party of sort of equality, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. equal rights. Yeah. For everyone, okay. and he says, I mean, what the what we need, what what I put in front with them, what I sort of put forward is, yeah, we are the party that is for free public services for absolutely everyone, whatever whatever your revenue. We are the party that will defend free higher education at a time yeah. when it is getting harder and harder. For, Good salaries for everyone, right? Um, and so on and so on and so on. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And he says one of the lines that. He said worked really well when he was on the campaign trail and was being sort of like hitting, you know, rhetorically hit in the face with these kinds of quite shocking sort of like, oh, the left are for benefit scroungers and I'm for work is by saying, oh, has your salary, has has your household income tripled in the last month? And then being like, no, of course not. And he'd be like, oh, well, France's top earners have. Do you think the, the person who's on benefits next door has tripled their benefits in the past month? You know, mm. to kind of shift because, you know, what he makes quite clear is that <clears throat> in these this new kind of socioeconomic reality, you know, that isn't based around the factory, you know, in the factory, it was very clear that we are the workers and those over there with the power are the bosses. And so the kind of the cleavage, the cleavage in between the social kind of division in between workers and bosses was very concrete it was an everyday thing that they saw Mm. at work every day and whereas now with this kind of de-territorialized kind of type of work that we have in our kind of neoliberal de-industrialized economies is that the distinction that the the kind of distinction that, that jumps to a lot of people's faces is i'm working and i'm struggling and that person isn't working and they don't seem to be struggling. Mm. I mean, I'm sure the person not working on benefits is probably struggling as well. Mm. But what they see, the kind of divisions that they see on a day-to-day basis is us people who go to work every day and have various jobs or whatever and are struggling and those people who we perceive to do nothing. Not to sort of open up a new front of historical speculation. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, something about the sort of the history of sort of social rights and you know the welfare state is I mean the left's retreat in France I mean this is I think an opening hypothesis that's mm-hmm. somewhat uneducated but this seems mm-hmm. to be what this is what Ruffin argues is mm-hmm. that sort of the, the beginning of the retreat of the left mm-hmm. is when I mean you go from articulating and developing rights that yeah, are fundamentally universal sort mm-hmm. of social security which everyone gets access to yeah. everyone has a social security card in yeah. France that yeah. gives you Free healthcare. Free healthcare. Um, Two sort of targeted mechanisms Mm -hmm. towards specific people, which obviously, I mean, I definitely think someone who is handicapped should have 
I mean, to each according to his needs and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and from each according to his capabilities. Yeah. Of course, like these are, are fundamentally um, good principles, but basically he's calling for sort of the left to, and I'm borrowing from this essay that came out in Descent magazine a few years ago. I think it was in Descent, but it was basically about the politics of the big ask is yeah, what this, yeah. I'm forgetting, I'm blanking on who the writer was, but saying, yeah, the left needs to get back to calling for sort of these things for solid everyone. minimum good yeah. things that yeah. everyone has access to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the, the era, it was the era of Jospin and Hollande that, and I, when we were saying, oh, we need to get these perfectly targeted benefits that will only apply to certain people and group. therefore we'll spend less money and also that's an electorate that we want to win over and right. and and obviously it's causing you know does that socially a sort of disaster it's splitting the working class into right. these weird little segments but also sort of i guess something i'd like to add and maybe we could kind of end on it sure. is that this is a really good way you know because in france right now for anyone who's sort of been watching what's going on in French political discourse over the last couple of years, there's this whole thing of universalism, you know, versus people who think that racism exists and that feminism is a good thing and <laughs> blah, 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 blah. You know, the, you know the, it's this sort of thing that's thrown in the face of sure. people who, who, you know, advocate for the rights of marginalised groups. It's like, yeah, but what about universalism? You're anti-universalist. Well, Ruffin, in a sense... He's trying to develop a discourse and a politics of concrete universalism. Not this abstract bullshit about the Republic and universal sure. values, whatever the fuck that means, especially in the mouth of people like Marine Le Pen or Gérard, Gérard, Gérard Darmanin. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Like What he's arguing for is a concrete universalism of services for everyone. Sure. Salaries, good for everyone. Dignity at work, for everyone, holiday, you know, there's this lovely part in the book where he's saying, where he sort of like makes this argument for like holiday, you know, the counterpart to work is holidays. D d dignity in work is the ability to have good holidays as well, to have time off, right. you know, right. and these sort of concrete universals that everyone should have and that there should be a minimum of for everyone. And I think, you know, I mean, I'm convinced, <laughs> you know, I'm a Rufanist, I guess, <laughs> but you know, he's a, you know, I think he, he's, I hope he has a really long, bright political future ahead of him. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to see how, how he shapes La France Insoumise and the Loops kind of political orientation in the years to come. Sure. I think we can give him the French bashing. Seal of approval. Seal of approval. <laughs> approved by French bashing. Appellation. <laughs> Uh, D'origine approuvé. <laughs> approuvé. FD. <laughs> uh, should, we, should we end there? Yeah, let's end, let's end there, you know. Yeah. Uh... Alright, good night, guys. Night.